Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Health Shift, the podcast that bridges the gap between conventional modalities and ancient healing for complete mind, body, and spirit well-being. We don't want your health to be shit, we want you to make a shift. <laughs> Please note that these discussions are not medical advice, nor should they be used in place of medical assessments and treatments. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to welcome Larry Young. Larry is an Alexander Technique teacher and musician living and teaching in Manchester-by-the-Sea, Massachusetts. He started exploring the Alexander Technique to help his own tension problems in general and with playing the violin in particular, and he's amazing at the violin. As he saw the benefits, he decided to complete his teacher training in 1992, and since then, he has made the Alexander Technique an essential and central part of his life and being in the world. I am so excited to talk with Larry today about his journey, his application for self-growth, and healing for others struggling with similar challenges. So thank you for being here today. Welcome, Larry. Thank you so much, Julie. It's yeah. an honor to be here. I appreciate the uh, invitation. You are so welcome. Yes. So tell us your story and how you got to where you are today, you know, knowing that this was your path. Uh, right. That's such a big question. Uh, I think like a lot of people in many ways, I just muddled along uh, in life going uh, where life sort of led me uh, by, you know, circumstances. But in the background, I think you're right. I think there was this idea that I wanted to do the things that I'm actually doing now. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just took a while to get there. When I was a kid, um, I wouldn't say I had a traumatic childhood, but I never felt um, just due to circumstances in my home, I didn't always feel super safe. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I, be, I was sort of an anxious child. And I also think there's some genetic kind of anxiousness that runs in like both sides of my family. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I was, my parents divorced when I was about 13 and uh, I, my, one of my mom's boyfriends introduced me to meditation and he was into all kinds of things that were very outside of my experience up until that point. Uh, meditation and Indian gurus and uh, the spirit world. And I, you know, I didn't really take to much of it except the, for the meditation intrigued me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't really practice it in any kind of disciplined way, but in college um, I, I was an anthropology major and, and originally before I became a music major and I was doing ethnographic studies of the various meditation groups on campus. Uh -huh. And one of them was, uh, were Zen meditators who had lived in a communally about an hour from campus and would come and teach Tai Chi and sitting meditation. And uh, that really took uh, for me. And so I, I began meditating quite a bit in college and uh, at one point i uh i was meditating many hours a day 
it was during a, a, a break be in between classes, you know, a break in the semester. And I had some uh, pretty profound experiences that have changed the way I've, <clears throat> they've kind of changed the way I thought life is for me. Uh -huh. And what I mean by that is, um, I got really, really quiet in a way that I'd never been quiet before uh, and was able to understand that I'm, I wasn't my thoughts, which is kind of what I thought I was up until that point. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that one. <laughs> and interestingly, uh, what accompanied, and this lasted for a couple of weeks where I barely was thinking I might have a couple of, you know, we, what do we do now? Think, think dozens of thoughts a minute, perhaps. And I, I, I became much more aware of my body and my senses and, and thought very little. Uh, but interestingly, what accompanied that was a change in my health up until then I'd been kind of sickly and had some digestive issues and had bad skin, like a lot of adolescents and young people. And my digestion became perfect mm -hmm. and my skin cleared up and started to glow. And this was like, uh, and it lasted for a while. And then, and then school got a lot of stimuli from school and difficult courses and all that sort of faded and I didn't meditate as much. And I was just kind of left with this experience of being in a very different place and my body feeling very different. Uh, and so years went by and I changed my major and I got into music and uh, after college, as well as in college, but after college, you know, I would practice an awful lot and didn't seem to be getting very much better. In some ways I thought I was getting worse. And I thought the solution to this was just practice more. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what I was doing was practicing my bad habits mm. and getting really good at my bad habits. And so I, uh, I could see other people getting really good and, you know, seeing little kids playing the violin effortlessly. And I just didn't have the perspective on what I was doing to get in the way. And that led me to Alexander Technique. So the Alexander Technique is a, um, a learning, uh, it's, it's a, an Alexander Technique was, it's a technique that was developed by a chap who was born in 1869 in Tasmania, which <laughs> okay. is an island off the coast of Australia. Mm -hmm. And he was, he as well was kind of a sickly child. And, um, but he, as a young person, he fell in love with the idea of being an actor. And, uh, he, and the type of acting that was popular where he was, and in that kind of vic late Victorian period, was uh, recitation. And so he, uh, he, he would stand in front of an audience uh, and uh, recite soliloquies from Shakespeare or um, parts of Dickens novels or poetry 
And these guys were like the rock stars of the age. And, you know, what, what adolescent doesn't want to be a rock star? So he, uh, he, he got pretty good and fairly well known, but he started to lose his voice in the middle of performances. And he went to the, by this time he'd moved to the mainland, to Australia, and he went to all the uh, doctors and voice specialists that he could find. And they looked down his throat as well as they could in those days and uh, said, look, we don't think there's anything organically wrong with your voice. Why don't you just rest it between performances, which is what he did. And he felt great uh, between, between. And, and then he'd go to the performance and one in particular sticks out in his mind. He was at the governor's mansion and he was doing his thing and he felt wonderful going into it because he'd been completely silent for two weeks beforehand. And right in the middle of it, he lost his voice, like totally, profoundly. He went back to the doctor, uh, distressed, as you might imagine, mm -hmm. and said, you know, doctor, I, you know, I did what you said. <laughs> uh, I did exactly what you said, and it didn't work. So what do you recommend? And the doctor said, well, boy, you keep on. Do what you've been doing. Rest your voice. And, uh, and Alexander at that moment realized that uh, that wasn't the problem. He said, Doc, do you, think, do you think it's something I'm doing while reciting that's causing my loss of voice? Because you said there's nothing wrong organically. Is it something in the act of reciting that's causing this complete vocal loss? And the doctor said, yes. And, so, and Alexander said, well, what do you think it is? He said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was a smart doctor. <laughs> yeah, right. So Alexander went home and he studied himself in mirrors, uh, three-way, three-sided mirrors like you'd see in a um, dressing room in a department store or something. And at first he saw nothing, but at the, after a while, he noticed that when he actually began to recite, he would pull his head back and down. So um, it's hard if it's if you don't see the visual. What I mean is if you if you take your your chin and stick your chin up in the air. Yeah, that that's what he called back and down. And he also shortened his spine and narrowed his back. Hmm. And when he got really uh, precise about noticing what he was doing, he also noticed he would was retracting his limbs. So in a sense, he was contracting. Yeah, yeah through bodily throughout when he received the when he gave himself the stimulus to speak and and it was through this he de he determined that if he could prevent that from happening in a sense if he could expand into his activity then he wouldn't interfere with his vocal function mm. and he spent months and years and figured out how to do this and in point of fact, that's what um, all healthy animals do, domestic, wild animals. When they go into activity, they expand into activity. Mm -hmm. What I was doing is when I picked up the violin, I was contracting into that mm. activity. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was pulling my head. I was taking my head, which weighs, you know, average adult head is between nine and 12 pounds. So it's taking this heavy head and muscularly 
pulling it on top of my, onto the top joint of my spine, mm-hmm. my atlanto-occipital joint. It's very high up. It's kind of behind the tip of your nose and central between your ears. So I was taking this heavy weight, pulling it down and shortening my spine and narrowing my back. And if you just try doing all those things, you'll find it, it doesn't feel good. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, it makes breathing very difficult. It makes breathing much more difficult because in order to dr- breathe well, you have to have f- free movement of your ribs. You have to have free movement in your torso, in your trunk. Um, so, uh, so I went and started and got some Alexander lessons and f- uh, oh, just to finish up with Alexander, sorry, uh, just to finish up with him, uh, he he found that he thought, well, maybe it's just me that's doing this uh, when I'm reciting. And when he investigated closer, he found he was doing it to a much lesser degree in every activity he, he did. He was mm. making himself just a little bit smaller in this contractive way. Mm. And then he thought, well, maybe it's just me. And then he noticed when he started to work with other people that everyone does this. Um, and uh, there was a, a guy uh, at Tufts University many years later who trained with Alexander's brother. His na- this, this professor at Tufts was named uh, Frank Pierce Jones. Mm-hmm. And jo- Frank Pierce Jones uh, pos- hypothesized that this, this um, pulling in and contracting that we do in civilized modern society was a result of... Um, it's what happens when we, when we have a startle. It's part of the startle pattern. So if I were to shout right, la- right now, your body would do this thing we just described. Mm-hmm. And in fact, all, all vertebrates do it. We contract ourselves uh, reflexively. It's called the startle reflex. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jones postulated that this habit comes from incompletely released startle patterns, startle experiences from trauma or from anything that we've, we've done throughout our life, that, that this, this way of movement becomes a habit because you don't see it in little kids. You know, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, they move very freely, very naturally. And there are some adults that move very freely and very naturally, you know, great athletes, great dancers, great musicians. Mm-hmm. But for the most of us, like me, <laughs> uh, I don't, I didn't move that way. Sure. I can right? relate. <laughs> okay, great. So essentially the Alexander technique is a way of recognizing, of responding to a stimulus and not allowing this contraction to happen. Does that make sense? Makes, that makes perfect sense. Yes. Expanding into the world expanding into the world which is so, so when, fearful for people yeah yeah it's a scary place or mm-hmm. it can seem like a scary place and the more you contract the scarier it seems sure sure so uh gosh how did we get here oh so i i decided i had this alexander lesson and i felt like i was floating which is a very common feeling after after an alexander lesson because our kinesthetic sense, our kinesthetic sense, only registers change. 
So if I've been pulling myself in and contracting myself day after day, year after year, my body, I mean, I'll get aches and pains, but my body kind of accepts that as normal. Right. Right. This feels normal. It takes a lot of work to do that. You're firing, you're sending messages for muscles to fire. And, and there's caloric work being done when you contract yourself. When, when we cease that, we feel, the, since the kinesthetic sense registers change, when those things cease, we suddenly feel uh, much lighter because it's, um, it's such a stark, in such stark contrast to what we've been feeling um, habitually. Mm. I have a friend who, who uh, is a jazz musician in New York City, and he said he, he had an Alexander lesson, technique lesson, and he realized after the lesson was over that he had a headache for the last two years and, and didn't, hadn't been noticing because it was this constant message. Sure, sure. It became, it became the norm, the, unhealth, the unhealthy norm. Correct, right. Yeah. And if you don't know, if you don't feel anything different, Right. It's, it's, um, and what happens when we contract this way is our options uh, get more and more limited. Right. So, so in a sense, uh, some people think of Alexander technique as, as, as giving us the freedom to change the way we do our habitual activities, whether they're very specialized, like playing an instrument Mm -hmm. or, um, everyday activities. And Alexander was one of the first Westerners to, to uh, maintain that the mind and the body were one. And the, he gets some credit for that because it wasn't, a, it wasn't, very, it wasn't a, an idea that was floating around in 1900 sure. in the West. Right. You know, it'd been floating around for millennia in the East. <laughs> <laughs> well, that still sounds familiar today, although it is getting better. So it is getting better. Yeah. So the the um so the way that the this meditation experience that I had in college and Alexander work tie together, because I didn't think there was any connection for years and years. But what the Alexander technique and the, my teachers were after and using this was, was exactly the same uh, expansion that I had gotten in this period of intense meditation in college. Yeah, yeah. So in that, in, in, in that sense, um, that was a, a huge revelation to me that it's not like I had discovered the Alexander technique because I didn't know how to get that. It happened. The technique is a way of creating the conditions consciously where you can have that expansion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is not to say that meditation, you know, you know, meditation isn't worth doing. It's, it's great. And I still do it. Um, but there, there. It turns out these two experiences were much more tied together than I had ever thought. Alexander mm-hmm. used to say, "Stop doing the wrong thing, and the right thing will happen." So that means if we if we can learn how we're interfering with ourselves, the right thing will automatically take place the way it did for me when I was meditating in college. Sure. Yeah. 
So true. And we have to we have to develop the awareness of what we are doing wrong because so much is just habitual. And like you said, it becomes normalized. Well, that's normal for me to have pain or whatever it might be or digestive. I have a, so many clients with digestive visit. Well, that's my norm. And I go, well, that's not healthy. <laughs> we need to re-talk about that a yeah. little bit. What, yeah. what, it, what else is possible besides <laughs> this, this norm that you've come to accept? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's true. I think a lot of people don't think they have any control that their they're here and up here in their head and their body's just going to do what it's going to do. Like my digestion stinks and that's the way it is. And there's nothing I can think. There's no way I can address my, there's nothing I can do or think that will change that. Right. Maybe I can take a pill, mm -hmm. but, but, in fact, one of the things uh, one of the things I've learned, and I can tell you from experience, uh, is that um, if you talk to your body in a in a very persistent but gentle way, uh, there are certain it will it'll it'll respond, and and this is very empowering. Because I'm, you know, I, uh, I don't know if I've, maybe we've talked about this in the past, but I have, I have Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. So um, I can remember being uh, in, in, a, in the middle of a flare up and like trying to talk to my body and tell it, tell it what to do. And at a certain point, there's just too much, too much happening for, it seemed like for me anyway, the experience was there was too much happening for my thoughts to, uh, to make a noticeable difference. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Western medicine and um, they were able to get rid of the flare uh, by using drugs, which aren't so great for other things, but there you have it, you know, it's, um, but but when things are going well, I think it's much easier to see that that simply um, acquiring the skill to talk to your, say, your musculature, it, you can do it in a way that it will respond. And it's extremely empowering. Mm -hmm. You know, you're no longer, uh, you've got some some control over the situation. And so uh, Alexander technique is used a lot for stage fright, for example, for people who have crippling stage fright. Um, it's also used a lot for people with bad backs. Uh, it's more common. Uh, you, you, there are more teachers and it's more, uh, it's more, it's better known in the UK. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's on the, it's part of uh, national health. So you can get it paid for. Uh, in parts of the, in for certain things in the UK, and there have been um, uh, studies, excuse me, that say that people who've had lessons in Alexander technique do better um, to, uh, one year out, two years out, uh, and I think it they may have gone to four years out for people with severe back issues, uh, mm -hmm. severe back pain, sort of chronic back pain. Uh, do that's done better than surgery and it's done better uh, does better than massage and acupuncture so there are certain things it's quite good for yeah uh, it's yeah. it's um, it's being used more and more you know, for Parkinson's disease 
not to help to stop the progression of the disease because it doesn't do that, mm-hmm. but to improve the quality of life and to help. Uh, one of the problems with Parkinson's disease is um, loss of control of movement and um, difficulty with balance. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's being shown more and more in a number of studies in the U.S. how useful it is for Parkinson's patients to apply the technique to help them get around much more uh, efficiently and effortlessly. Yeah, yeah, man, I could see so much application, even just in ter- talking about mental health, you know, this whole idea of reducing anxiety. Um, you know, yeah. it just seems like it would make such a difference. And boy, could we use that now with the whole pandemic? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's one of the, another reason I, I love it. It's not just, I, f- um, you know, when you feel better in, in your body, you you feel better emotionally, you feel better. There's no doubt in yeah. every way. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, conversely, when you feel better emotionally, you feel better in your body, you know, usually. So, uh, I've, I find it very helpful for, um, emotional situations as well Mm -hmm. yeah getting uh, one of alexander's big proponents was uh was um dewey the guy that the dewey decimal system was named for Uh uh-huh um I'm, i'm spacing on his first name Anyway, uh, Mr. Dewey found that he, he studied for many years with Alexander and he found that he was in the past before he, he was, he studied it and learned how to apply it for himself. He found that when he was getting into philosophical arguments with someone who he disagreed with, uh, a colleague or another professor, uh, or another philosopher that he would get upset and unable to control his emotions and consequently unable to think clearly when he was arguing. And he found that after lessons with the Alexander technique, he was able to maintain an arguous position without getting flustered Mm. and and able to think, think more clearly. So that brings me to another place where we have a huge issue are in uh, cognitive decline, neurological issues. Well, you just mentioned Parkinson's disease, but we could really cross that over into dementia and Alzheimer's and, uh, you know, things that are just plaguing our society. So that if people are able to have more free thinking, it just reminds me of, again, in Chinese medicine, we look at it as chi, energy flow. It's really about, you know, energy flow in unblocking the blockages. It absolutely is. And, and in Alexander circles, like talking about energy used to be kind of like a, 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 a woo-woo a, thing. Oh, yeah. It's like a, <laughs> no one, everyone knew this is what was going on, but nobody wanted to talk about it. Sure. But uh, I think more and more Alexander teachers are, are willing to talk about energy. I mean, I think I, I understand what the, the, um, uh, reluctance might have been it's just it's it's kind of vague and when and when we're trying to to uh encourage a mainstream population to uh make the considerable effort to to learn something like this i think they want it to be as scientific as possible but but what's and you know what's happening with uh 
with physics now is everything's coming down to vibration and energy. And uh, so I think these two things are going to meet up very soon. Yes. And, uh, yes. and talking about energy will be, uh, will, be, will be much more scientific than we, you know, we think of it now. It's, you know, it's already moving in that direction, which is so exciting to see. And um, when I was back in college in the late 70s, I was reading this huge book called Pyramid Power. It was very interesting, quantum physics and all of that. And of course, it was way above my head, but I, I loved the principles. I said, man, this is really cool. And then, you know, life takes its, its way. And I was in conventional nutrition, but always knowing that there was this other element as well and have a very interesting path professionally myself. Uh, but it wasn't until my own cancer journey when I went to Germany to do some alternative cancer treatment where I was uh, learned about, you know, Bruce Lipton, Greg Braden, Ling McTaggart, and all these people who were talking about quantum science. And I said, oh, my God, this is the stuff I was interested, you know, many years ago. And it brought me back passionately to pursue that area. And now there is research. You know, they're able to quantify these things, which is actually really wonderful. I don't know if you've heard of heart math. Are you familiar with heart math at all? Yeah, I've got one in the other room. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 was, I, I was interested in seeing if uh, sort of a, a machine, a kind of biofeedback machine. Correct. Which is yep. what it is. Yep. Would, be, would help people in learning the Alexander technique. Uh-huh. Um, because I just wanted to make it quicker and easier it's it's not that's the, that's the issue with alexander work it's not a quick fix no 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 you have to be disciplined and we we are not trained we are not trained in the west to be disciplined it's take that purple pill or yeah. go have it cut out and yeah, you'll be exactly. you know, in the morning right exactly yeah right yeah. and we're seeing and and there's some things that modern medicine does terrifically well there are lots of things. Oh, yeah. Emergency medicine, most definitely. And like yeah. you mentioned, when, with uh, your flare-ups, sometimes we need those Band-Aids. But then it's nice yeah. to be able to back off the Band-Aids and then really look at what are the things that are influencing me in my daily life and my daily habits that um, I could look at to change, you know, which it seems right. like Alexander Technique is a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the biofeedback, I don't know of any Alexander teachers who are, who are pursuing this. I should put a query out there in the community, but uh, I love them. My little heart math. Uh, it, it basically, because what it shows you graphically and yes. with immediate feedback is that when your heart is open, uh, you feel better. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Yeah. When I did the uh, Benson Henry training, uh, Herb Benson was at the Deaconess and I was at Joslin Diabetes Center many years ago. And I wanted to begin a program uh, that combined mental health, exercise, physiology, and nutrition for our diabetic population. So I asked my boss, I said, hey, can I go get trained at Herb Benson's program? That two weeks was kind of like what you described. I felt like I was, you know, light and airy, no pain, no migraine headaches, slept wonderfully. Mm. And we did have the opportunity to use biofeedback and watch the GSR in terms of, you know, an uncomfortable thought versus something that was pleasant. So right. it is nice that we are at the stage now where we can start to quantify this to hopefully, um, uh, you know, get Western medicine to say, okay, you know, that is valid science. So it's going to happen, you yeah. know, because there's so many things that Western medicine doesn't do. 
Correct. and would like to do. They're just like, well, we can't, we, sorry, we throw up our arms. Sure, and, sure. And, uh, and it's going to be, we're going to see it more and more because, yeah. you know, we, we want people healthy. Doctors right. want people healthy. Sure, sure. Yeah. For me, it's this whole idea of really bridging the best of conventional and ancient wisdom. So yeah. I feel like that's part of my reason for being in so many arenas. And um, it just, I feel like it's a really exciting time. So this has been absolutely fascinating. So what three tips would you give people today in terms of managing or, you know, managing this very convoluted um, world of healthcare or health promotion <laughs> or both? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit, uh, but I'll, I'm going to call this three tips because I want to give you two that are specifically more applicable to Alexander, the Alexander world. But I'll just yeah. start off with a general, my basic general tip is like, take care of your body. Um, you know, eat less, eat, eat unprocessed foods, eat good foods, move mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. Bodies, the body is not designed to sit still. The body is designed to move. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and get plenty of sleep. So I'm going to count that as one tip. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so here's something yeah. that people can take, can take mm -hmm. away um, and, and play with, because that's the best way to learn things is to just have be curious and explore. Mm. And so as you're going throughout your day, and this is not specifically Alexandrian, but it's something that I think is valuable as you're going throughout your day, periodically ask yourself, am I breathing? Yes. Mm -hmm. Just ask the question and, you know, in a, in a non-judgmental way, because chances are, you know, you won't be breathing. I usually am not when I <laughs> ask the question. Uh, yeah. And just exhale and let an inhale come in. So mm -hmm. ask yourself periodically throughout the day, am I breathing? And my final tip is um, as you're engaged in an activity, ask yourself, can I do this thing that I'm doing now using just 80% of the effort that I'm currently using. Mm. I just did it myself when, as I said it, cause I asked, I, I said, can I ask this question just using 80% of the effort that I, I started to ask the question with. And, and you'll find invariably that you're using more effort than you need to, you know, you'll oh be, my God. That ask yourself, so yeah, you're driving along, ask yourself, uh, can I grip the steering wheel using 80% of the effort I'm using now? Yeah. Can I hold this? Do I have to hold my toothbrush in this death grip or can I just uh, <laughs> brush my teeth with 80% of the effort I was using a second ago? And that's kind of eye opening. Oh my God, Larry, that is absolutely amazing because <clears throat> I mean, one of the things that I have recognized is I've become much more, um, self-reflective of what I'm doing. And when I'm exercising or doing activities, I'm checking in with my body and go, how does my leg feel? How is my arm feeling? Am I breathing? So I use that one a mm. lot myself, but yeah. I have always held on for dear life. <laughs> yeah. we, all yes. we all do. We yes. all do. We all do. And that's such a conditioned, you know, such a conditioned thing, you know, like you said, coming oftentimes from childhood feeling 
not really quite safe in our environment yeah. for whatever reasons. But um, yeah. I love that. Okay. Take care of your body, sleep. And can you do this with 80% less? And are you breathing? Beautiful. Yeah, 80% less is a lot to ask. I just ask for 20% <laughs> less. Well, that's right. Yeah. Can you do with 80% of the effort? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this was absolutely fascinating. And I so thank you and, and appreciate your sharing your wisdom today. So how can people connect with you if they would like to learn more about what you're doing and offering? Sure. Um, they can connect with me at my Alexander website, uh-huh. which is LarryYoungAT.com. LarryYoungAT.com. Beautiful. Yeah. And for my music stuff, uh, I have a website called HistoricFiddler.com. Yes. And I do give some Alexander lessons over, uh, over Zoom. Uh-huh. But there, uh, there are Alexander teachers scattered throughout the country. Mm-hmm. So you can uh, look up um, just alexandertechnique.org, I think, is sort of an umbrella one. Uh, but there's a, a certifying body that I'm a member of that's called uh, AMSAT, A-M-S-A-T. Mm-hmm. So you can uh, Google AMSAT Alexander Technique. And there's a way you can locate a teacher near you. Okay. Okay. Great. Yes. And, you know, we didn't get to really talk much about music, but I might have to have you on another time so that we can talk about that whole sound healing, spiritual healing and and whatnot as well. But I would definitely tell my audience to go and look you up for music because you are an amazing musician. So I've had the, I've had the pleasure of being able to hear you. So that's great. Thank you so much, Julie. And thank you for having me on. Uh, I had a great time. Yeah, this was really fun and awesome. And if you like this podcast, please rate, review, and share with your friends, family, coworkers. I am on a mission to change the current paradigm of healthcare and mental health care. And you can find me at juliefreeman.net, on Instagram at juliefreemanmindfulwellness, and YouTube, Julie Freeman Functional Medicine La Jolla. Until next time.